If you walked in this morning, you're like, wow, it's crowded. We have another service just follows this. It's a little bit more room. And it's a way that you can open up space for those that need to, need to be at this hour. Uh, before we do open up, I want to uh, comment on something that we've probably all heard in the news. And that's what's going on at Asbury uh, Seminary and College. Um, it's very cool. I don't know how many schools and universities around the, the states, and I've heard in a few other countries that God is moving in. But three things I want to encourage you to do. One, pray for them. God is moving distinctly in their locations for a specific purpose. And um, two, don't sensationalize it. We don't need to run to find the Holy Spirit. We don't need to run to find God's Word. But we do need to open ourselves wherever we're at to what God wants to do in our own lives. And so maybe it has sparked something in you, a desire to want more of God. Then tell Him. Position yourself for that. And third, realize how it started. Confession and prayer. God loves a contrite, humble, repentant heart. And so, I just ask you to consider those things in your own lives, where you're at, and pray that this thing spreads like wildfire. It would be wonderful to once again see churches filling up just because of God's presence. And uh, our nation needs that. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 20 to 23. I want to read it to us. It's just a four-verse passage. It's not very big, and some people would say it's not very needed. I mean, how many of you, probably shouldn't raise your hand, um, skip over the introduction and the, the salutations? After all, it's just a high and by. And... I had to kind of laugh when uh, Nick said, this is the text I want you to take. And I'm thinking, are you mad at me? (laughs) To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit. Amen. I mean, there's no deep doctrine. There's no maybe. Maybe there is. It's interesting when you realize where where Paul is. He's in prison. He's in Rome. And he starts off, as Paul often does, exhorting the church to God be the glory. And any time Paul's talking about God, it's bigger than we can imagine. We see God kind of as this object that's personal to us and hopefully doing what we need. And we forget that, no, this is the God of the universe. This is the God who created. This is the God of the Father of Jesus Christ. This is the God who who will be worshiped forever and ever. And he says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. That's the phrase that meant 
something to Nick and I as we talked about this passage. Greet all of God's people in Christ Jesus. So Manohar was just up here, and, and often when we talk about we're part of something bigger, we think of missions. And he, he brought us to two things that we need to pray for, three things that we really need to pray for. People that we will never be in contact with, but many of whom are part of the body of Christ. And we need to pray that they are encouraged. We need to pray that they are safe. We need to pray that they have provision. We need to pray all the things that they need on their behalf. And he uses the term brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. Now, that's a term that I don't really like because I've seen it so misused. I've had so many people growing up in a Pentecostal church, Brother Mike, and the only time their affection in is during that phrase. I'm not their brother in any way, shape, or form. They're not my sister. We have no connection because it's just a phrase we use. But to Paul, and I hope to us, it has much deeper connotation. I remember two times when I loved the word brother Mike, or the phrase. One was in a little village. It was a Romanian gypsy village in eastern Romania. Some of the poorest, most disregarded people in that part of the world. And, and when I came in, I was Brother Mike, but I knew they meant it. They didn't know me, but there was affection. There was desire to hear what God was doing in my life. I desired to hear what God was doing in their life. And it was, it was an amazing evening filled with, I mean, this whole stage would have been filled with violins and accordions and guitars. And the worship was just beautiful. Another time was with a young priest just north of London. And we just got talking. It wasn't spiritual. It wasn't anything to begin with. But there was such a bond that happened in about 30 minutes that we emailed for the next year, probably monthly, just about some of the deep things that were going on. And he was my brother in Christ. And Paul says, and the brothers and sisters that are with me send their greetings. All God's people here. Now, where was he? He's in a Roman prison, and he says this. The people that are in Caesar's household, insinuated, who are Christians, also send their greetings to you. It seems to me that Paul should have had a little bias against anything connected to Caesar. After all, he's sitting didn't do anything wrong in a Roman prison. But he sees the universality of the church, of the body of Christ. And then he comes back and he wraps it up. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The only way that we, the church, exist is through God's grace. And it's by his grace that we can see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and, and recognize that, that there's something bigger going on here than just us. Even though you might say, well, this is a large church. It really isn't. There are churches today, South America, uh, Korea, that are running 50, 60, 70,000 in attendance. And they're worshiping Jesus. There are churches that are much smaller. 
I once had the privilege of meeting a lady who was absolutely awestruck as she stepped away from the congregation and turned and looked at it was all women from the north side of Africa. And she couldn't believe that they were all worshiping freely. And she began to weep uncontrollably. And there were three of us men in this room of about 300 women. And I came over and I said, are you okay? And she said, is this what heaven's gonna be like? And I, I said, hopefully. And I said, why? She goes, I've never worshiped with another person in my life because of fear of being found out and killed. Never worshiped. And yet I'm sure God saw her when she was in that quiet place as part of his church, a part of something bigger, a part of something that is systematic, as part of something that is organized, a part of something that belongs to him, and yet something that is invisible. You can be walking down the I, in fact, I was in a grocery store. We have a pastor in our town who is fairly tatted and uh, a big boy. He played D1 ball. And I hadn't met him. And uh, we were in Hyvee in Fitchburg. And he comes up and he goes, he's got a big voice. Pastor Mike. Well, one of the joys of being a pastor is being named that in public. And everybody stops and just looks at you. <laughs> And he wraps his arms around me. He says, it's good to see you. I'm Rob. He's the pastor over at Doxa. I would never in the world have picked him out. In fact, if I'd have been in the same aisle as him coming, I would have probably gone and found another aisle. <laughs> he can be a scary dude. But he's my brother in Christ. But I had no idea just looking at him. And it's also an invisible church because how many billions of people have gone before us? And we don't know the date of Christ's returns. There could be billions more people after us who we won't know until we get to heaven. And we see all these people, and we're like, huh, I didn't see you in Madison because they weren't here. And yet it's the known church because we see each other. We see, people, we see church buildings, at least, around Madison. And we know that there are people who are acknowledging the same Christ that we do. And so there's a phrase that I absolutely love, and that's that High Point Church is part of something bigger. And, and that's what I want to talk to you about today out of these passages, because Paul's illustrating, you know, it's bigger than what we can see. The people in the household of the people that hold me are your brothers and sisters, and I can't wait for you to meet them. So when we talk about the church, there are at least five things that a church needs to be a part of. There needs to be preaching of the Word of God. There needs to be worship. There needs to be fellowship of the saints. And by that I mean there's a word called koinonia. It means that when we come together, we don't just talk about the Super Bowl, but we talk about the things of God. We ask the question, what's God doing in your life? And then we listen. And we get excited that God is moving in their life, that God is showing something to them through the Word and through other circumstances in their lives. It has to include communion and baptism. 
It has to include church discipline because we have to protect the flock. And those are some things that if they're all happening and Jesus is Lord, then it's a true church. And, and that's important for us to, to be aware of. Um, a church should be looking at culture through the eyes of Jesus, through the heart of God. It shouldn't be influenced by culture to change its word because the word of God is here. Our methodology may be fluid, but the word of God and the doctrine of, of what it means and how we think doesn't change. It's not influenced by culture, it's set. God is faithful to his word and he doesn't change. How we may do things, it can vary. But the word of God can't change because God doesn't change and he's to be worshiped. So when we talk about the local church and when Paul talks about the local church, what exactly are we talking about? Well, there's four different ways that you can talk about the word church. One, it can just mean assembly. Just putting, getting people together. And we come to this local church, but we're a part of something that's also a local church, and that's how Paul illustrated things. It was the church at Ephesus. It was the church at Colossae. It was the church of Rome. It was the church at Madison, or the church of Dane County. In Dane County, there's 371 churches of people, and to be in this counted, they have to have at least 50 people. Now there's around 460. Many of them are under 50 people. Of that, 54% claim to be evangelical. What evangelical means is that we believe that the Bible is God's word, it's his holy word. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, that salvation is through grace and grace alone, it's not by works. And there are some other tenets that, that we believe that put us in that evangelical box. It's not a political term. It's a term that defines us as people of faith in Christ Jesus. 32% of them are mainline, Presbyterian, United Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, and 11.5 are Catholic. Now, why is that number small when a lot of people are Catholic? Because the churches are bigger. There's not one on every corner. And, and so... In Madison, this godless place that if you read, read in the papers, there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of goings on. But at the same time, the vast majority of those churches are under 100 people. Many are under 75 people. During COVID, a number of them stopped meeting. And, and there's some ramifications in that for us and, and for, uh, us as a congregation. Um, another thing about the church, when we look at a map like that, is that there's not a lot of differences that differentiate between the evangelical churches. They're kind of like flavors of an ice cream. It's still ice cream. We still believe many of the same things. In any denominational difference, it's usually less than 5%, 3%, of the stated things, statements of belief that vary. And so I'm hoping that by the end of, of our talk today that you recognize something a little bit different about the church and it affects your behavior towards the church. Then there's the church regionally, or in our case, a country. 
Um, how many of you are some, someplace other than Madison? Yeah, you grew up in other places. You went to other churches. You're going to leave Madison. You're going to go to other churches. Madison's a very transient city. When I first got here, they said a third of Madison changes over every three years. And I'm like, yeah, that's impossible. It's true. It's amazing. People come here, go to school, they go to work for Epic, they go to work for the government. Three to five years, they're gone, on to someplace else. And they still go to churches. They're still part of the body of Christ. And then you have the global church. It's mentioned twice this morning. Menohar mentioned it, and I've mentioned it. We know people. We've got 30-some missionary units that are serving around the world. There are countless others that serve Jesus Christ. There are more missionaries now sent to the United States than we can send out, and that's been true for probably 15 years. So the church at large globally is thriving, not so much here in the United States because we've made other things our God instead of God himself. But that's not where we want to go. So the question then is, why should we care about other churches? And that's an important conversation. And, and today I want to tell some of why Nick and I do in particular, some of the things that we do, and how God has positioned us to be able to do some of those things. So in Matthew 8, or 28, 18 to 20, we have the Great Commission. And that implies going. Now, we can't go to every place, but his church can. And so we need to support those who can do what we can't do. We're part of the body of Christ in this mission. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and following talks about the church is likened to a body, a physical body. Now, this is a passage that I've struggled with a little bit because we always see it in the terms of this local body. But over my tenure of, of pastoring in the last 45 years, I have seen that work regionally as well. And I look at Dane County and I see different churches with different gifts, different personalities. They bring different things to the body of Christ. I look at our nation and I've been in some churches that are very different than the one I would want to believe in, but they still believe or belong to, but I, they still believed in Christ Jesus. Over time, Vincent Peel in New York City, uh, Schuler in California, the Crystal Cathedral, um, and his name in uh, Houston. Are they Christian? Yeah. The cleanest presentation of the gospel I have ever heard was by Robert Schuller at the Crystal Cathedral during a pastor's conference. The Houston mayor said this about Olstein. They feed more people in this city than any other civic organization. They care more about our people. So I went and attended a service. I was doing something else in Houston, and, and I didn't really expect to hear the gospel. But after the TV commercials went off, I heard a very clear presentation of the gospel, and people walked forward to receive Christ. Hayford said it this way, Jack Hayford at a four-square conference. He said, every era has a feel-good church, has a feel-good pastor, that ends up on the airways of America to invite people into something that they need. And he said, and the job of many of the other churches then is to fill in the blanks. 
and to disciple and to nourish and to do those things. But he said something that I found to be very, very true. Don't disparage the work that God is doing that you may not understand. Because he's doing good work. You and I are very, very different, and yet our gifts are needed. We position ourselves in very different ways, yet our gifts are needed. You can do things I can't do. I can do things that you don't get the honor to do. It doesn't matter. It's our giftings that God has given us so that each of us can bring what we have to God and offer it up in our lives and in our service to him for his good, at his good pleasure. And that's the body of Christ. It's an amazing thing. We have to fight for the gospel and truth. We live in the realm of spiritual battle and we have to bear arms for one another. There are times when we need to pray, we need to have somebody else praying for us because we just can't do it any longer. It hurts too much. I meet pastors who don't want to pray. They're so discouraged but are very open when I ask the question, can I pray for you? And they weep. They need our prayers. We need to stand in the gap for them. Church is not a synonym for the people of God. It's, it's the activity of the people of God. We are the church. And that church is meant to be a verb. The church is meant to be an active participant in our community. When we look at church buildings, why in the world over time have these edifices been built and now they're coffee shops and museums and expensive homes and malls? They dot through Europe and now starting to dot through America. Because the building is meant to remind the community that God's presence is here. It's meant to be majestic. It's meant to be ornate because it reminds us of a God who's bigger than us, a God that has beauty, a God that has significance. And yet many of them have just become obsolete. It's the same mortar and brick but the people inside that actually were the church forgot who God was. And they allowed it to be a coffee shop, a museum, something man-made instead of something divine. And the majestic is gone. This to us is just a building. You're the church, we know that. But to everybody that goes by out there, it's the church. And they need to be reminded. And every time you go by a church, you need to pray for that church, for those people that make it a true church. And ask God to empower them and ask God to, to give them the courage to continue to being a church, to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Nick has shared some of what it means to, to be a pastor. And I want to share just a little bit, not because neither of us do it because we want you to feel sorry for us or, or whatever, but because we're a part of you. 
The shepherd is, is part of the flock. And God has given us the opportunity to do this vocationally full-time. But we do it with you, for you, and through you. And so I want to share just a few things that, that Nick and I do. And Devin, as he's getting his feet on the ground, and, and Paxton is starting, and many of our staff. But when we say that High Point is something, part of something bigger, it means something here locally. It doesn't just mean missions. It doesn't just mean those places that we can't grasp or see. But it means right here. I think Nick is over at Gateway this morning. One of the things that we often do, if you don't see us up here, it's a good chance we may be visiting another body of Christ. Because we want to know what's going on in the, in the town. What's God doing? Where, is, where do we need to pray? Where do you need to encourage? Where do we need to come alongside? We are fortunate here, and I've said this before to you, and I, I mean it and I still do. We are fortunate to be pastors at High Point Church because you're an amazing group of people where Scripture is, is desired, where there's depth in belief, and you care for each other. It's, it's been amazing to me. We take the, the survey every year, and every year there's a consistent 92% of the people feel that they're cared for at High Point Church. Now, that doesn't happen because the pastors know your names. It happens because small group leaders care for you. You care for each other. Friendship groups, Bible studies. There's connection that's important because it's meant to be amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. You're generous. You're, you have integrity. When we go to other events, Christian events in the city, the most, um, what's the word I want? The, the, most, the, the church that has the greatest attendance there is always High Point. You tend to the things in your city well. And we're proud of you. And that's not true for many churches and many pastors in this city. And I want to share some things that happen just in a, in a pastor's life. And then I'll wrap it back around to what we can do together. There are times when people expect more out of a pastor than they should. You've probably noticed we're human. Ask our wives, ask our kids. Probably just, you know it on your own first account. And yet, people just willingly share all kinds of deep secrets with us that honestly, I wish I didn't know. Because when I look at you, I don't want to see your pain and hurt. I don't want to see your struggles. I want to see my brother and sister in Christ. I just want to enjoy you. But it's a privilege to carry that weight for you and with you. But for Nick, I, Devin Paxson, Nicole, Aaron, the rest of us, we have each other to talk about, to encourage one another. The majority of pastors in this town do not have that. Many are bivocational. Many are all alone, and they struggle because the issues in the church are the same, and it gets weighted down. I've been told, so is Nick, so is every pastor, 
if you can't fix our marriage, we're getting a divorce. It's like, bye. <laughs> because I can't fix your marriage. Now, if we could have had a conversation six, 12 months ago, I could probably have helped you get on some right paths. I could have probably helped you find some things in Scripture. I could have probably helped you understand something about how God created us to work together in marriage as man and woman. But the ultimatum is tough to work through. When I hear that, I immediately get discouraged because I'm like, I don't want Satan to win. I don't want another marriage to crumble. I want God to be glorified in your marriages. I had a mom walk into my office one morning dragging her 14-year-old daughter. And she's yelling at her daughter because her daughter had just revealed that she was pregnant. So she continues yelling at me and she says, my daughter's pregnant, she's 14 and she needs Jesus. Will you take care of that? I said, no. <laughs> Do you think your daughter, or I said, are you a Christian? And she said, yes. I said, Do you think your daughter wants to be like you? No. And she looked at her daughter and said, honey, I'm sorry. And they both wept. I said, mom. Go home with her. Keep weeping. Tell her who Jesus is. She does need Jesus, but remember that when she comes to faith, she's still going to be pregnant. And she needs you. She needs your love. She needs your support. She doesn't need beat up. She's 14 years old. Now, I remember just laying my head on the table and just weeping after they left. Because that little girl could just as easily told her mom off and just left and ended up who knows where. I remember being 23 years old the first time this happened, about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I got a call. Our baby just died. Will you come over? I'm 23 years old. I'm like, who can I call? So I called our senior pastor, and he said, you should probably leave. And I'm like, I haven't done this before, Jack. He said, the Holy Spirit will be just as much with you as he will be with me. And I got to their house, and the mom comes up, and she says, uh, by the way, we haven't been able to tell her brother and sister, will you? Her brother and sister were five and eight years old. I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, please give me something. And God did. He was faithful. I remember Dr. Brozell called me right after church, and he said, I'll pick you up. We're going to Children's Hospital. Flugstead's baby is having convulsions. Ryan at that time was two months old. He was adopted. 
I looked at Jack on the way over across Evergreen Bridge to Seattle, and I said, why, why'd you pick me up? He said, because you're the children's pastor. That's a child. You need to minister to them. Again, I'm thinking, <laughs> you got this better than I do. And I remember walking in and watching that baby convulse so hard it had airtime off the mattress. And I look at Jack and he said, pray. It's one of those times you're glad you have a dark suit on because you can't tell you just wet your pants. I was scared to death. What if I lay my hands on that baby and nothing happens? What then? Be still. Be healed. And the baby fell asleep. They took Brian home the next day. Brian went on to be a professional golfer. Nothing wrong with the kid. God is real. But those are moments when it scares you to death as a pastor. Seeing you in the hall and all that is fun. It's fun seeing God's church. But there are times when it's just tough. I first started loving pastors when I was about 30, 32. And when I went to work for Billy Graham, I learned to love pastors more. I would be in a city and often with a, a large church pastor and he'd take me out to dinner and because my business card had the name Billy Graham on it, they assumed I was trusted and had integrity and I fought like everything to not be the one that disappointed Billy Graham with the name on a business card that had his name on it. And they would just begin to open up and pour out the hurts. Because see, I was gonna leave in a couple of days. They were likely never gonna see me again, so I was safe. In 39 weeks a year, I listened to a pastor typically sob about the hurts when they had some of the largest churches in America. But so many times they had won people to, by entertainment and they had to keep them by entertainment instead of the Word of God. And it had become an expensive deal. Friday I had breakfast with a pastor. I always just ask, how are you doing? And you know what they tell me? All about their church. I let them go on for about 10 minutes and then I tell them, you know what? That's not what I asked. Don't really care about your church. I do, but not as much as I care about you. How are you doing? And then it gets real serious, real real, real fast. And the same thing happened because nobody asked the pastor that question because you don't know, because you're not one. And so it's difficult. And after all, we represent God. Shouldn't I have it all together? That's what a lot of people in churches think. That's why I can just dump on you because you can handle it. When I met Nick, 
I was doing a conference or seminar, an eight-hour seminar I did called Sharing Hope in Crisis, and, and I don't know if it was in Madison or Wisconsin. You brought me, was it Madison? Okay. And this young guy, 32 years old, came up to me at lunchtime, and he said, I like your material. It's good stuff. I like your presentation, but I really like the way you handle the church in your conversation. Can we talk? I've got a broken church. I've been a youth pastor, and I'm a senior pastor, and I'm not real sure what to do. And that started a seven-year conversation between Nick and I every three, four months. And what I learned to love about Nick was that he loved the local church. Not just you, but the church down the road and the pastor down the road. And when I got here, I found out that he had some really great relationships across Dane County with pastors. And they were the right kind of pastors because they weren't the pastors that were succeeding. They were the pastors that were struggling. They were the pastors that were preaching the gospel and needed encouragement. And that's the same heart that I have. When I was flown out to interview, I forget who the elder chair was at that time, but they decided to invite any previous elder to my interview. There were 21 elders for about four hours. And the last question Greg Walters asked before they kicked me out to vote was, are we hiring you for High Point or for Madison? I said, I don't know, that's up to God. But in my heart, I was afraid to say Madison. Because I knew there was something unique here that Nick was called to do and I was called to come alongside him to do. This next list isn't a brag list. And I'm not gonna show it long because I don't really want you to see the names on it. But it's a list, you couldn't read it anyway, so we're fine. The ones on the left, the blue, are pastors that we have regular contact with in this city. The gray area, I can't even read it, are supported ministries in the city. The light blue on the right are ministries from High Point to this region. And then the next one down are global, we have 30 global partners called the GMT. And then it says something else. Oh, that we're aware that Madison is transient, and many of you in the next three to five years are going to move on. And that's okay. We want to pour into you because we want you to take everything we can give you someplace else and use it. And again, that's not a brag list, but it's, it's to show you that God's doing something in and through you because you allow us to do something that's beyond us. I love pastors. I love churches. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if Nick were standing here today, he could say exactly the same thing. To the point that we spend time, hours each week, outside of our offices in other buildings called churches. And when we leave, they almost always thank High Point 
for allowing us to be there. They thank you because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity, because of the list goes on. You're known as a people of God. You're known as a people where the Bible is truth, where it's worth studying, it's worth emulating into your own lives. You're known as a caring church, a compassionate church. And you allow us to reach out with the same heart that you have to them. But you have other jobs to go do, and so we get to do it. We get to encourage. So what can you do? You can care for each other in the body of Christ as you do it. Seek out others from other churches. Get to know them. Here's one most pastors will never tell you to do. Go visit another church once or twice a year. If you have a church in your neighborhood, go visit it. Find out how you should be praying for that church. If you have a neighbor that goes to another church, go with them. It'll open up encouragement for you and it'll open up dialogue with them. We don't need to be so territorial. We need to know that we're part of the Church of Madison and it matters to God that we love each other. We care about each other. When you go by a church, pray for it. Don't just sail on by. Pray for that church. When a ministry opportunity comes along, join it. There's going to be several new evangelistic opportunities announced soon. Risk, participate, and see what God does in your own life. Practice bless. Ask God who you should be around. Listen with care. Eat together. Serve and love and share the gospel. Tell stories of God's grace. How did Paul end that in 423? He said, it's God's grace and may God's grace abound to your spirit. It's God's grace that allows this to happen. It's God's grace that sets us apart. I want to encourage you, worship team, come on up, that you're a part of something bigger. Don't get entrapped that you're just part of High Point Church. I am blessed and you are blessed to be a part of High Point Church. We have faults, we have shortcomings, but shoot, we're doing a good job. I mean, it's okay to acknowledge that God is here, His presence is here. When we worship together, we worship the one true God. We know each other because of the grace of God and the work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. We are brothers and sisters. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run. Who's the cloud of witnesses? Every believer that has died and gone to heaven and is awaiting for us. And that's a huge cloud. We're part of something bigger at High Point Church. God loves the church in Madison, and you're a part of it. But you're an integral part of it because one of our gifts is High Point Church is to bless those churches, is to encourage those pastors, is to come alongside and say, God loves you, and I want to listen to you. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you that it's so much more than we can ever see. 
or even understand. And we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Syria and Turkey and in the places where tragedy has struck. But we also rejoice with you that there are millions, if not a billion people today, worshiping you as the true God. Empower us to continue the work that you've called and set us to do. In your name, amen.